Bill Borsman. I had the honor and pleasure of being a member of the faculty at the University of Puget Sound for some 33 years. And upon my retirement, uh, I was like mayor of Tacoma. But my first year on campus from 68 to 69, that period, I had the opportunity to serve as the acting coordinator of the Black Studies program and got to know the leaders of the Black Students Union at that and uh, during that period, I think we made a lot of history uh, at the university. So looking forward to uh, answering questions and, and engaging conversation. Well, thank you, Bill, for being here. Thank you as well, Lou. I'm happy to have you introduce yourself shortly. Um, I'm Serena, I use she, her pronouns. I'm a senior here at the University of Puget Sound. Um, and I'm just gonna go ahead and ask a opening question for both you and Lou to address. Um, just go ahead and provide some context for the climate over at Puget Sound in the 60s, the late 60s to be specific. Um, you both were very pivotal in work that was happening there with the BSU, so I'd love to hear both perspectives. Well, uh, thank you very much, um, a group of glad to have a chance to address you. Once again, I'm Lewis Smith, one of the charter members of the uh, Black Student Union, and I was its first president. Uh, to give some context of the environment uh, there at UPS, uh, I draw on the, the context offered by one of our uh, uh, most, um, our, our best authors, and that would be Charles Dickens in his tale of two cities. And I think it was an apt description of what UPS was like as a young freshman coming in um, in the fall of 1964, if you will. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. And those are true feelings that not only did I feel uh, as a freshman coming onto the UPS campus in the fall of 1964, as one of only two black students that were on campus at that time. Um, and after I had been um, abandoned, by my own cousin who had come to UPS two years before and found it such a bad experience that she left uh, just before I arrived. And I truly can say I have not forgiven her for leaving me there by myself to this day. But I came personally to UPS from a very solid, wholesome black community. I came out of a segregated school system in St. Louis, Missouri. I came from a family where my mother and my aunt um, were college graduates. They were both um, got their college degrees. And I came from a family that um, was very um, attuned to what was happening in our community, in our, in our country primarily through the black press. Not so much the national news, although some of the things that were happening within the civil rights 
um, arena was being covered in the national news. Most of what we got that we could rely upon came from Black writers, came from Black newspapers. And I think about the, um, oh, in St. Louis, it was the St. Louis Argus. In Michigan, it was the Michigan Chronicle. In Chicago, it was the Chicago Defender. And these papers circulated around Black communities and actually covered the issues of the day from a Black perspective. I share that with you because the things that were happening at that time were monumental in our community, less so, if at all, in the broader white community. Some examples, Broad versus, uh, Brown versus Board, 1954. As a third grader, I remember vividly being in class and our teachers telling us that we were going to be the first generation that was gonna have an opportunity to compete with white kids. And I also remember vividly thinking that not my teacher must have lost her mind because as I looked around, there weren't any white kids in our class. Outside the class, I looked around my community, there still weren't any white kids. And the only white kids that we did see was on television when it came to um, what Mickey Mouse, I think was my favorite program at that time and the Howdy Doody program. That's where we saw white kids, not in our community and definitely not in our schools. So Brown v. Board, 54. Some of the other things that were reverberating around our community, and I wanna put this in context because they were happening in our community. They were being discussed in our community. They were ramifications that were being felt in our community, but not on the UPS campus, okay? Here are a couple. The Birmingham boys, bus boycott, 55 and 56. Emmett Till, 55. The Little Rock Nine, 1957, the Greensboro Four, 1960, Ruby Bridges, the little girl that had to be escorted to, to elementary school by U.S. Marshals, again, 1960, the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, 1963. Cheney, Schwerner, and Goodman, 1964, the year that I came to UPS, 1964, June 21st, 1964, the assassination of Malcolm X in February of 65, Bloody Sunday, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, March of 65, and just six months after, less than six months actually, after we started the Black Student Union, the assassination of Dr. King. Tremendous impact, all of these 
but they were impacts and they were important things that were happening within the black community. Once again, not a word to be mentioned at UPS. Thank God when we started the BSU in October of 67, and less than six months later, um, there was the assassination of Dr. King. Before we had cell phones, before we had pagers, we had a group of maybe at this point about 10 or 12 black students. To a person without ever having to reach out to one another, every one of us gathered to support one another in our pain, to share the tears of our disappointment with the loss of Dr. King. Now, that could not happen without the solidarity of the Black students that were there. And even beyond that, it could not happen without the Black students actually being there. Because remember, when I got there in 64, there were two of us on campus. Let me say that again. One, two. So these are some of the things that are part of my memory and bring us forward to why the Black Student Union was so important to form, to nurture, and to develop so that when we left, that students coming to UPS, people, students of color, students from various backgrounds would have a place to grow, a place to develop, to nurture their own professional uh, development and being. And I am so happy that that dream has been realized to such a, a great extent. That was amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. That was really, really well-spoken and really good background. Um, my name is Kellen Higgins. Um, I'm a sophomore at UPS and I'm the current president of the Black Student Union. Uh, and my first question for you is gonna be, how does a BSU come to life? And how do you work with no blueprint, like explicitly drawn out for you when you're trying to make a BSU? That is a great question. and. and I don't think I've ever answered that question before. Um, at the time, I had uh, some very close friends that were at the University of Oregon. And one weekend, I went to visit. And um, much larger university, as you might imagine, and a much, much greater, a larger, uh, diverse uh, community of students. And they had a Black student union. And um, it turns out while I was there visiting, um, they had a meeting and um, I was welcome to attend the meeting. And the experience was <laughs> fantastic. Um, the love, the support, the camaraderie um, that was there that I had a chance to see for myself was something that just struck a nerve with me that said I needed to take this back to UPS to see if I could plant that seed 
and get that seed to germinate and nurture that seed so that it could, could grow into something that would be as beneficial to our UPS campus as obviously the Black Student Union was at uh, the University of Oregon in Eugene. Now, what I also got from them was their constitution. And this is the story I've never told before. Our constitution was their constitution. So I love to be able to say I came up with it with, with myself by myself. I'm not that blessed. But what we were able to do was very quickly come up with a foundation. And from that foundation, we could immediately go forward knowing that we had a platform upon which we could build. But that's how we got it, it started. We, in generous terms, borrowed from the University of Oregon. Great story. Kind of along those same lines, um, what were you sort of expecting out of a Black student union in the late 60s that you were just developing first in the state? Um, and what do you wanna see from leaders that come from spaces like BSU, uh, maybe even specifically the one at Puget Sound today? What do you see from those leaders? This can go to either of you. Bill, you want me to go? I've been talking yeah, you go. for a minute. I'll, I'll, I'll follow up. I have a few things I want to say too. Go ahead, Lou. We wanted some things that we saw in the broader community. If you go back and you look at one of the um, yearbooks and you look at the yearbook in 1964, you look at the yearbook in 1965, 66, 67, you're going to see all kinds of organizations, clubs, groups, etc. But what you're not going to see is people that look like us. So one of the things that I wanted as a vision, and I'm just speaking as my vision, is to have the opportunity for students to come and participate in all of the experiences that the university had to offer. However, we saw beyond that vision, the need to add to what the, the university was offering. And we had some silly ideas about Black history. We had some silly, silly ideas about Black literature and African-American literature. We had no idea how broad a scope that would require, but we had that seed, if you will. And because we had that seed, we had to first educate ourselves, okay, what is our history? And it was amazing what we did not know. For instance, uh, Lerone Bennett's uh, book, Before the Mayflower, I think it came out in maybe 62. And that was the first black history book that most of us had ever read. I never read about or learned about black history in elementary school, in middle school, in high school. And when I got to UPS, I learned about it because we as a black student union 
dove into that. We were hungry for it. And it became part of our being to the point where even today, I will still get an email from one of the uh, students that was there during our uh, Black student years, founding years, and we will still challenge each other, hey, have you read this? Have you seen this? And so it was something that has lasted for a lifetime. So Black history, African-American literature, the whole civil rights movement and what was happening um, beyond the, the context, context again of, of, of campus life, one of the books that we as a um, Black Student Union challenged everybody to read to discuss was Charles Silverman, his book, Crisis in Black and White. And uh, if you haven't read it, <laughs> it still has value uh, in, in today's um, uh, environment. But those are some of the things that, that we saw. We wanted to learn about ourselves. We wanted to learn about our diverse culture. And we wanted that diverse culture to be taught at the university level. Because as I said earlier, never took a history, a, a class in history, in Black history, never took or had offered a class in African-American literature until I left UPS and went on to graduate school and beyond. Bill, you want to pick it up from there? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, by the way, <laughs> great words, Lou, really, which, which stimulates my memory as well. But to put my, my situation in context, I think that I was really influenced by my first spouse, Natalie Jane Myers, who was a close friend of Martin Luther King, and worked uh, with SCLC in Freedom Summer, knew Andy Young and, and Reverend Abernathy, and was a good friend of Hosea Williams. It's interesting, she told me that uh, Dr. King referred to her as Natalie Wood because she looked like Natalie Wood, <laughs> and uh, which was kind of an inside joke with, with the group. She talked about uh, working in the trenches and being beaten up and being jailed uh, during that period. That left certainly a, uh, an impression with me. And then uh, we were in Washington, D.C. Uh, we're in the Potomac Apartments um, uh, in Foggy Bottom as I was finishing up my graduate work prior to beginning my tenure at the University of Puget Sound. And I still remember that day, April 5th, um, 1968, uh, we would get our Washington Post dropped in front of our door each morning. Woke up that morning and picked up the Washington Post, which I still have to this day. And uh, the headline: uh, "King assassinated in Memphis." This was her. She had a, This was her friend, and I picked up that paper and had to share that with her. I still remember that that moment, uh, that emotional moment that we we shared, and what happened in Washington D.C. afterwards. Shortly after, I received a, uh, uh, an opportunity to teach at the university. I received a letter from the then dean of the faculty, Bob Bach, uh, to accept a position within the School of Business and Economics. So that's when I began my career. I returned to the university. I graduated there from 1964, and you're absolutely correct. I can only remember two black students uh, on campus, by the way, during my, I still remember who they were uh, during my time uh, at, at UPS. So I returned in 1968 and um, 
the, the supervisor of the School of Business and Economics at the time was Booth Gardner, who later became governor of the state of Washington, as it turned out. Well, anyway, one day he came into my office, my office, which was unusual because he's the director. He usually called me into his office, but he came into my office and Booth had kind of a disarming way of asking questions when he knew what the answers were, you know. So he walked into the office and he said, um, uh, your wife, uh, Natalie, was a good friend of Martin Luther King and worked with SCLC. And I said, yes. And I thought to myself, okay, where is this, where is this going? You know, what is he getting? What is he getting at? And then he said, he said, well, you believe in social justice and civil rights and you're committed to, uh, to the cause? And I said, yes. He said, well, I would like to have you take on an assignment. And I said, well, what is that? He said, I'd like to, I'd like to have you serve as the acting coordinator of the Black Studies program, in particular, the social science course that was being offered. But to do that, you have to meet with the leaders of the Black Students Union to get their buy-in, because you'd be working closely with them during this, during this time. And so I can still remember going to the uh, student center uh, to meet with Lou, and I, as I recall, it was Lou and George Neely and Al Roberts and uh, Lou, uh, Jerome Crawford, uh, those were the four that I remember that I met with who were sitting around a table in the student center. And uh, I, I didn't know who these students were at the time. So I, I cracked a few jokes trying to develop a rapport and uh, uh, they weren't laughing. <laughs> they were quite serious. I thought, whoa, I'm gonna have to make a deal here. And so I said, as I, as I remember, I said to, the, to them, I said, look, I said, if you hang with me during this semester, you will have the opportunity of hiring someone to replace me that will be a full-time, the full-time coordinator of the Black, Black Studies program at the university. And you will, you will actually do the hiring. I'll make that commitment. And, uh, and we, we agreed to that. And so uh, that led to a very <laughs> interesting experience during that semester in the spring of 1968. You know, it's really something to have a, to have a course, teach a course in, in, in the Black experience, and to have a, a guest come in and share their experience, Fanny Lou Hamer, you know, as a guest. Um, I, I, my friend Dennis Flanagan, who also worked in Freedom Summer, uh, was a friend of uh, Ms. Hammer, said, you know, Fanny Lou Hammer, Hammer's coming to town. How would you like to have her visit your class? I said, whoa, absolutely. So here, one of the iconic leaders of the Black uh, experience, leader of the Mississippi Freedom Party, uh, came in and, and shared her experiences in class. I still remember some of the things she said, by the way. And uh, then Natalie said, you know, um, I can reach out to my friend, Hosea Williams, who was with Dr. King uh, in Memphis when he was gunned down and was there on the, at the motel with him to come in and share his experience. And uh, I said, wow. And so in walked uh, Hosea Williams into our class uh, to share his experience and to answer questions. It was an incredible experience. And uh, back then, students had a tremendous amount of power and influence. They were actually involved in hiring decisions uh, of faculty back then, if you can believe it. Uh, they were part of the policymaking uh, process in the university, had an equal vo uh, voice and vote on the university council. And uh, so when I said to uh, leaders of the Black Students Union, you will be making the choice of the coordinator or the director of the Black Studies program, um, I knew we could make that happen. And uh, we, we had some, some quite interesting experiences. Uh, I'll, I'll share one of them. Uh, uh, Lou called me one day, he'll remember this. He called me one day and said, uh, Professor Barsman, I'd like to meet you over in Jones Hall. We'd like to meet you over in Jones Hall. 
And I said, when? Well, we're going to be in about, about 15 minutes. Can you come over? And I said, okay. And I walked over to Jones Hall and they were standing outside of uh, Dean Box. Uh, he was the dean of the faculty outside of his office. And I said, well, are we going to go in and see? Yeah, we're going to go in. We're going to meet with, uh, with uh, Dean Box. We've got some demands we want to share with him. And so we walked into the office and the secretary was there. And uh, I think it was Lou or one of these. So we're here to see uh, uh, Dean Bach. And she said, do you have an, uh, uh, an appointment? And uh, he said, no. And we walked into the office and uh, uh, sat down. And, uh, and there was this list of demands. And, and uh, Lou or one of the leaders uh, handed me the list and said, Professor Barsma, we'd like to have you, would you read the, the demands? And I was sitting next to the, to the dean and I was at about uh, demand number five, as I recall, and Lou and the group stood up and walked out. And uh, <laughs> uh, Dean Bach was, you know, let's, let's say he was uh, out of sorts and upset. And uh, I said, you know, I said, uh, I said, Bob, I said, have you, ever, have you ever heard of the term Mau Mauing? And he said, no, he said, what is that? He said, that's a black power tactic used to, to put your adversary on the defensive. But once your adversary becomes, goes on the defensive, you have the advantage. And this is what's, what's good, they're going to be back. Well, how do you know? I said, well, they're, they're, their jackets are still on the chair. They will be back, but you need to keep your cool. And he said, well, thank you. And then when they walked back in, uh, I finished up with the demands and, uh, and uh, Lou, Lou said, well, we'd like to have your answer by Monday. And, and uh, Dean Box said, I appreciate it. Uh, you'll have my answer. I'll, I'll consider your demands and uh, I'll have your answer. And that was the end of that experience. That was uh, not atypical of uh, what was going on during that, that period, that transformative period. There was also a great uproar in the campus where the, fact, where the faculty were demanding that the trustees take action to hire a new president. And the dean, Bob Bach, who we met with, uh, resigned, uh, was, was forced out, and there was a lot of turmoil on, on the campus. But at the end, uh, we did hire uh, Floyd Davis. This is a Floyd, this is Floyd. We handed, uh, well, we, we together, together, I helped recruit Floyd, but, but the Black Students Union um, uh, interviewed him and uh, recommended him and uh, the administration hired him as the first coordinator of the Black Studies program as a full-time member of the faculty. And that was, that, was a big, that was a big change. And that was a step in the right direction. And we made history. And it was quite, quite an experience. And, and, and I can write a chapter in my, my book about my, my experiences with Lou and the leaders of the BSU during that period. It was a great learning experience for me. Thank you both so much for sharing. Um, I'm loving these stories, oh my gosh. Um, like understanding our history is really important. Serena, do you actually wanna um, ask this next question since you wrote it and I'll ask the one after it since I wrote that one? No, I think that's perfect. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I was actually thinking a lot in preparation today um, about how recently Curtis actually got their first Black Student Union through the work of students. Um, and based on what you have both been saying, I'm definitely picking up a sense of that sort of energy and nature. Um, and I think it's just so interesting because compared to our current campus demographics, our black student population has just crossed the 2% threshold. Um, so more than two black students, but 2% um, is black. Um, 
I just think it's so interesting because what was the outcome that you wanted to see of the BSU at this time? I am seeing through what you're saying that there's now a program of Black Studies and there's obviously this community here, but was there anything else specific that you wanted to see a Black Student Union accomplish during your time in leadership? If you will, Bill, um, one of the things that we wanted was, and this is so basic, it doesn't have to be mentioned, but I will. We wanted our students to be successful. And successful from an academic standpoint, mm -hmm. uh, from a socialization standpoint, um, and all of the different um, all of the different ways that you might look at success. For instance, um, I think it was my junior year, uh, the university came to me and said, uh, Lewis, uh, we're getting some trouble from, and Bill, you might remember more about this, um, from the federal government because we spent all this money to build these uh, fraternity and, and sorority houses and um, we're being squeezed uh, because there aren't any um, minorities in the, these organizations. Yeah. Would you be willing to, um, to go to the, I won't say the name of the house, and, um, and, and help us to, to get some relief until we can make some other cha changes? And um, I, 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 I did that. And when I did, it really opened some eyes because it allowed me to see in a very real sense how the other half lives. Specific example. Um, it's time to study. And you can go to the library or you can study or you can have study hall in your frat house. And study hall in the frat house would mean that if you were studying with uh, economics, you would be studying with a junior, a upperclassman that was majoring in economics. If you were studying in political science, uh, as I was, again, you would be studying in a group with an upperclassman leading the study that was um, majoring in, in economics. When it came for time for a test, everybody is studying like crazy. And then here comes your study leader and he's got a file folder. And in that file folder are the tests that this professor has given in the past. Let me say that again. The tests that this same professor has given in the past. Now, is that fair? Probably not. Is it real? Yeah, it is. And what it taught me was that, you know, the landscape is not always fair, but you still have to be able to win the day and be successful by, as Malcolm would say, any means necessary, okay? Now, from a broader perspective, I spent about five years in state government working for uh, Daniel J. Evans. 
I spent about 25 years in private industry um, working for uh, various companies. And invariably, when I would apply to these companies, they would say that we wanted somebody that had a master's degree and had this type of work experience and had that kind of work experience. Okay, I had a master's degree, I could compete. But then when we got to um, training and there was a large group of us hired from all across the country, um, and there were, might be a handful of people of color. And when I say a handful, less than six. And when we would get together and have a chance to talk, we would find out that out of that training group of you know 40 to 50 people, the four or five of us were the only ones that have a what? Master's degree. Everybody else got through the door with a bachelor's degree. But once again, I didn't say it was fair, but nonetheless, we were in the running, we had an opportunity to compete and we did compete. Yep. And as we competed, we competed by supporting each other. So if I had someone that, that I knew that was in uh, Houston and somebody else that I knew that was in Los Angeles and somebody else that I knew was in Chicago. Outside of the UPS experience, we created our own supportive network consistent with the vision that I shared with you for uh, the BSU, supporting all of the different areas of development. We did that same thing in our careers as well. So that was branching outside of UPS but it started with the UPS experience. Does that make sense? Yeah. Just, uh, just I'd like to a couple comments here in terms of context. In 1969, there were at least 20 black students on campus. Now, what was the reason for that? Was it for altru altruistic reasons? Did they really go out and recruit uh, black students, uh, you know, to bring up the numbers? No, actually. The university decided to go through big time athletics and they withdrew from the Evergreen Conference and the NAIA to go to the NC2A Division II. And the goal was to go Division I in basketball. And uh, uh, that was kind of the end, the end game. And so to do that, they, hired, they had to bring in athletes that could compete at that level. And uh, those athletes were, after, were, in many cases, inner city black uh, students. And so the football team had, uh, and this was pretty remarkable at that time, back in 1968, 69, they had uh, nearly a dozen black students uh, on the team, including the starting quarterback, one of the very few African-American quarterbacks in the NC2A at the time, Bob Botley. Uh, and, and of course they had, uh, uh, had to get some uh, excellent black athletes uh, on the basketball team, including one of the one of the highest uh, rated, uh, be a five-star uh, basketball player out of California, um, and Charles Lowry, who's, who went on to play in the NBA. So they had to, they had to really uh, get those, those, those good athletes. So one of the reasons why there was this increase from two to 20 was because of the university's decision to go to NC2A. By the way, another piece of that was the, the university had to essentially branch out in its recruiting from Tacoma, 
relying on uh, students in the city, kind of uh, like myself, to begin to recruit regionally and become known in these, these markets, Sacramento and Los Angeles and Honolulu and, and in the mountain states. And they took their, their, their teams, basketball and football, as Lou would, uh, knows, into these markets. To go into these markets, they had to be competitive. They had to beat these teams. People read newspapers. And when UPS beat the Sacramento State Hornets in football, that became news in Sacramento. And they could do uh, recruiting. So part of the reason for the increase in black students from two to 20 was because of the university's need to be competitive in athletics. And uh, they were great. And I'd like to also say, pay credit to some of the leaders of the Black Students Union. Lou went on to get his master's degree. George Neely, who was the leader, went on to get his PhD. Uh, Jerome Crawford went on to law school at the University of Washington. Uh, was sponsored by Judge George Bolt, by the way, uh, uh, because his mother did domestic work for the judge. Uh, he was the only black student at that time uh, at the University of Washington Law School, practiced law for many years successfully. And Al Roberts went on to get his master's degree in education and, and coached in the National Football League for 18 years. So those are the four of the leaders that I work with in the Black Student Union, all went on to, to uh, complete stellar careers uh, as they left the university. So uh, I felt really good about that. And, uh, and by the way, uh, Lou is correct about the professor from uh, in political science. You're, you, you know, he, he's correct. I remember those, those years as well. This topic really plays really well into our next question. Um, we're kind of wanting to know what um, support, look, support looked like for the BSU at a more institutional level, um, specifically like between other organizations on campus and also just like administrative support. Joe, why don't you take that one? Well, it, it was a struggle, needless to say. Um, but it, it, you know, when I had my, my meeting with Booth Gardner, um, and he encouraged me to, to meet with the Black Students Union. Afterwards, I came back and he said, Bill, he said, how'd it go? I said, it went pretty well. He said, well, how so? I, he, I said, oh, I made a deal. He said, what was the deal? I said, the deal was that the, uh, uh, the Black Students Union would be able to select my replacement and that replacement would be the full-time coordinator for the Black Studies program. And he said, well, uh, what did you tell him? I said, well, I told him that you would make it happen. And uh, he laughed. <laughs> He laughed and of course he helped make it happen. Uh, the, you know, the administration was very leery of uh, the Black Students Union and student activism in general and very leery of the faculty as a matter of fact. And I can remember one incident, uh, <laughs> there were so many of them. I, I had met with the uh, leaders of the BSU. We were up, they had a little off, we had an office or a, uh, not an office, but a, uh, a room up in the tower of Jones Hall where we'd meet. And we were discussing about an incident involving uh, a woman by the name of Daisy Stallworth. Maybe you can remember this, Lou. And Daisy was an older student and, she, and her husband who was wearing a dashiki and had an Afro was with her over at the student center. And uh, they wanted to have lunch and uh, they wouldn't serve her husband. And that became a big, big issue, an incident on campus. And so we were talking about it up in, that, up in the tower of Jones Hall, discussing it. And afterwards, as I was walking down the steps, uh, I ran into an administrator, remain unnamed, from, uh, from at, at Jones Hall. 
And uh, I'll never forget, he said, well, I understand uh, that uh, the black students have real concern about uh, the Daisy Stallworth issue. And I said, yeah. And then I thought to myself, how the hell did he know uh, that we've been talking about, about that? And then I remembered that his son was a member of the FBI. And so I was convinced that we were bugged. And I really think we were bugged. And uh, from that point on, all the meetings up in, that, up in that room were scripted. And the real discussions we would have would be off campus. So there's a lot of you know, suspicion, uh, and I'm not being paranoid here, <laughs> looking back to that period, uh, it is not unlikely that that was going on. So there was a lot of suspicion and concern and sensitivity about uh, these, the radical members of the, uh, of the BSU. And of course, uh, you know, what was happening in the civil rights movement uh, in general, I think, uh, set a tone. When Stokely Carmichael took over SNCC from uh, John Lewis, uh, and, and the Black Power uh, movement went into vogue. And when uh, Lou was in the article uh, about Lou, when they established the Black Students Union, of course, you uttered the words Black Power uh, in, that, in that article, which I think set a, a, a tone of concern on the part, not only of the university, but I think interests outside the university. So that was quite a time. Boy, those memories. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> um, it, it's difficult for me to answer your question, uh, Serena, and, and I tell you why. Um, what the Black Student Union has grown into now was just a seed when we planted it um, generations or, or, or decades ago. So it's difficult to answer what we would want to see you guys do today. In a broad sense, we want you to create the environment for the success of the students that are there, okay? That means to support their academic success, but it also means to support their socialization. One of the things that I'm proudest of at UPS was we threw parties. We threw parties. And the reason that that stands out is I remember going to the first dance at UPS as a freshman. And the um, when I left my um, community in, in uh, Seattle, we were uh, dancing to the uh, Four Tops, to the Supremes, the Temptations, Smokey Robinson. And when I came to UPS, they had a band that was playing and the name of the band was George Washington and the Cherry Bombs. <laughs> I'm gonna let that sink in for a minute. Needless to say, there wasn't very much dancing going on from my perspective, okay? So when I say that we gave parties, it gave us a chance to love our music, love our culture, love each other. So it was not all about academic success. It was also, what is college supposed to be? It's supposed to be a fun time. Challenges, of course. Growth, of course. But it's also supposed to be a fun time when you love on and celebrate your culture. I'm, I'm pleased to say that 
many of my friends, Bob Botley, Jerome Crawford, Al Roberts, all of these guys, but unfortunately we, we lost Jerome, but I'm still with, friends with them today. And we can sit down and we can laugh and joke and we can tell lies and just have a great old time because of the foundation that was there with the BSU. Remember again the despair that I shared with you from the opening of the tale of two cities. I wanted to be sure as a founding member and founding president that no other student of color that came to UPS would have that view of despair in remembering their college experience at UPS. And if that has happened, and if that is happening, I'm eternally grateful. Well said. Yeah, that was, that was really beautiful. Honestly, I think along a very similar line of sort of, you know, fi finding these moments of joy and finding these moments to sort of celebrate your existence. Um, I'm thinking now about sort of this turn to activism that especially a lot of um, students on our campus partake in in their own ways. Um, what are sort of, I guess, words of encouragement you'd provide to these you know, young leaders who are trying to take these steps towards their own reformative justice and community in school? That's your Bill, you want to go? No, you go. You go. You speak from the heart. Um, the challenges that we still uh, have before us as a people and as a nation are substantial. Uh, we cannot look at the look at it through the prism of uh, rose-colored glasses because we are a challenge. Do we continue to have our our democracy as we change from being a white majority culture to a, a majority culture of people of color? Do we continue to live out the, the dream of, of uh, democracy? One man, one vote. All of these are challenges that I know that you as the up and coming generations of leadership will have to battle. You'll have to overcome. I don't know how you will do it, but I have every confidence in the world that you will do it because not achieving that goal is unacceptable. As our legacy and as the legacy for your future generations, your children and your grandchildren, that is the challenge that Bill and I pass along to you. We didn't know how we were going to do it. And the furthest thing from my mind was that 50 years later, the Black Student Union was going to be as vibrant and as important on the UPS campus as it is obviously today. But because we fought the good fight, because we did not give up even in the <laughs> presence of tremendous obstacles like the FBI. Um, good old J. Edgar, right, right Bill? Yep. Um, 
but through the grace of God, through a commitment and dedication, not only to ourselves, but also to others, to others who are yet unseen, I have every confidence that you guys will step up to that challenge as well. Bill? I second everything that you say. I, you know, I really can't add much to it. Um, let me just say that uh, one of my one of my great achievements, uh, personal achievements, Lou, was I know that you're you're really a, a great athlete, very talented, um, and good student. But I did beat you in badminton. Chronic achievements, my friend. One of my chronic chronic achievements. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> no, I think, uh, you know, as I think back, we really made history, didn't we? Together? We did. We did. Yeah, I really... And, you know, and, and again, we weren't trying to make history. All right. Furthest thing from our mind. We were trying to do what needed to be done. And we were thoroughly... That it was our belief. We need to create this. We need to make sure that as we go forward, we leave something behind that will be a structure that future students can build upon, a platform that their voices can be heard from about the issues of the day, of and, the you know, issues my, of their day. I, I couldn't agree, and, and it took a lot of courage on your part, really, and, and the students with you. I have with me an article. Uh, this was about... Uh, uh, the time that we that Fannie Lou Hamer uh, was on campus, and uh, we had a community meeting after she met with our class, and Dr. Thompson, the president, was there uh, to introduce her. And after she spoke, you got up, you stood up, and I thought, "Whoa, something's coming here. Something's coming here." And you walked toward the stage where Dr. Thompson was sitting, and I can read the account in the uh, in the trail. Uh, Lou Smith, UPS student and leader in the uh, current Social Studies 111, 111 course, posed three questions to Dr. Thompson. Are you moved enough now to sanction a separate autonomous Black Studies course curriculum here at UPS? Are you moved enough now to sanction the hiring of more Black professors? Are you willing to take the wraps off courses we now have. And uh, that, was, that was quite a moment. That was quite a moment. And he uh, well, didn't know quite how to take that. Um, but I think that was uh, a pivotal moment in, in, in our university history, which I'll never forget. I, I must have been drinking that day, Bill, because <laughs> <laughs> to, to stand in front of the university program uh, president <laughs> with those challenges, I don't know. I must have lost my mind. <laughs> now, now you know. Once you once you say that, of course, I have to digress to say that one of the mo one of my moments at UPS before I became a student was at the Field House and was after an NBA All Star game, and I met the great Bill Russell. And I said to Bill, I said, uh, I am honored to meet you, sir, and welcome to the city of Tacoma. Would you, would you autograph my program? And he said, sure, kid. And he wrote in the name. Of course, we know that Bill doesn't, doesn't sign autographs, right? So many years later, when I'm mayor, I'm introducing to Bill, and I, and I, said, uh, I said to the audience, I said, 
You know, I said uh, back in 1957, I had a chance to meet uh, the great Bill Russell and I indicated that the circumstances and I held up the program with his autograph and he walked up to the mic and he said, I must have been drinking. Your exact words. <laughs> great words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a heck of a moment, I'll tell you. And, and Fanny and Fanny Lou sat there a little bemused, but she had a smile on her face and she was shaking her head. It, it was great. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. That's all the questions that we have. Um, it's been really, uh, it's just been really nice to hear um, the way that like, the I guess the essence of BSU and the community created by it is still here today because I think that a lot of what you were wanting to do with BSU is a lot of still what we're doing today when it comes to supporting black students. And I think to know that we're still living up to our founders, um, what we what you guys were trying to do makes me feel really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think as a former member of leadership in BSU, I think it's been amazing to see um, not only sort of the start of BSU, but also seeing the leadership that Kellen's brought into that space and seeing just how closely connected these two groups really are. I think it's a really beautiful thing to hear and witness. And I'm personally really grateful I had the opportunity to talk to both of you. I know Kellen's just as grateful, but yeah, I am just really glad you took the time to talk with us and I'm just sending my thanks. Well, I, you know, of course, I, it was a great experience, and wouldn't it be terrific to invite Lou back to campus to share some of this with uh, with the members of the BSU? I think maybe we can make that happen, and, and the campus community. I would love to it's, do it. Love because his words were powerful. And I just uh, before we leave, I, I challenge you guys to carry the torch that we passed on to you. Carry it high. And as you leave UPS, make sure that you pass that torch on to students that are as dedicated to you are to make sure that the, um, the flame continues, it is not extinguished, and you brighten the way for other students to follow you. Here, here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much.